0: Hi, and welcome
1: to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jara, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have our amazing crew members, Grace. Hey. And Sue.
0: Hi, everybody.
1: And before we get into our main topic, just a few items of housekeeping. Uh, As usual, we'd like to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon, where we fund our creation of this podcast and promotion in terms of going to conventions and getting promotional materials. And you can help support that work by visiting patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash women at warp. And in exchange, you get access to cool exclusive bonus content and hangouts and things like that. So check it out. Um, Another way that you can help support our show is by leaving us a review on iTunes. If you rate and review our show on iTunes, it helps more people find us and uh, just generally is a a nice, lovely thing to do. So thanks for everyone who's given us a review already. And if you haven't, um, maybe take a second to hop over there and do that. Sue, do you want to give a housekeeping update on the Parsec
0: Awards? Yeah, the Parsec Awards are were developed as awards for the science fiction podcasting community. So there are fiction and nonfiction categories, and we have been fortunate enough the last couple of years to receive nominations. Yeah. And uh, nominations for this year's Parsecs, which are held at Dragon Con every year, are, are now open and will be open through June 1st. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I guess.
1: <laughs> say no more, say no more.
0: Just think of us, you know?
1: Brilliant. All right. Well, Today's main topic is women's sexual agency in Star Trek. This was a request from our patron Kay, who asked us a question that we answered in our mailbag episode, uh, Incoming Transmissions, which I think was episode 26, about the episode Counterpoint. Um, but she added, I'd also love to know more general thoughts on the representation of women's sexuality and se- sexual agency in Trek. A mixed bag, in my opinion, but there's good stuff in there, as well as the cringeworthy. And before we dive in, just a content note, especially for those of you who may be listening with kids. While this won't be an explicit discussion of sex in Star Trek, as you probably guessed, we will be talking about mature themes this episode. Uh, So just advance warning. So... Sue's going to give a few more definitions about like what sexual agency is, because when we posted about this on Facebook, we encountered maybe a bit of confusion. But before we start, I just wanted to also mention that this episode is not going to be a thorough survey of like all the possible cases we could discuss in Star Trek, because there are a lot of women who have varying degrees of sexual agency. But we kind of brainstormed some uh, particular good and bad examples. We're also going to skip all the Mud episodes because we talked about them in great detail in our episode, His Name is Mud. So go check that out if you're interested. And we will also be only probably talking briefly about sexual assault because we're going to be doing a full episode on that in the future as well. So without further ado, Sue, do you want to Give the listeners a little bit of background on the concept of sexual agency.
0: Sure. So we'll start with regular agency, also called a sense of agency. And this is something that I have found that I end up talking a lot about on panels at conventions. And because panelists know these terms, we just go off and go in depth and Every single time somebody in our audience asks, what do you mean when you say agency? So, agency or a sense of agency is awareness that you are controlling your own environment. Or, in other words, making decisions and making choices, acting freely, and controlling your own life. You're not subject to anyone else's whims. In literature or media, this is called character agency. So it's the ability for that character to make their own choices, act freely. And another way that it's often put is that the character or the person is able to act in a way that accomplishes their goals. So that's agency. Sexual agency, unsurprisingly, is when you apply that idea to somebody's sexual, I guess, decisions or (laughs) actions um we did find an article from sexual goals also counts i mean sure
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, their hopes dreams and plans for sex
0: exactly i did find an article from psychology today that puts it in you know more direct terms it's from june 2014 but uh, they say that sexual agency can include the ability to give consent to participating in or declining a sexual activity and having your desires honored, the right to choosing how you define your sexuality, such as gay, straight, bisexual, or asexual, the right to choose your gender, such as male or female, or anything along the gender spectrum, the ability to choose whether or not you want to engage sexually with a specific person or in a specific place or even the time, the ability to choose safer sex practices or birth control, and the ability to stop in the middle of any sexual activity. So basically the ability to change your mind at any point.
1: Okay, so not Ponfar.
0: Right. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite of Ponfar, really.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it's worth noting before we get into the episode, as we've said many times in past, in Star Trek, everyone in space is straight. Um, you know, that's changing now, but... We're not really talking in this episode about sexual orientation, uh, or really gender identity. We're more talking about the ability to, uh, to assert when, how, how much you want to have sex with whom, etc.
0: Right. I think in the most basic terms, we can think of sexual agency as consent and a partner's respect of that consent. Yeah, definitely.
1: And, like, enthusiastic consent, the ability to to say what you want as well, not just passively, like, be approached and be like, oh, I guess maybe.
0: Right, for sure.
1: All right. Well, um, we have a whole bunch of examples. So let us dive right in. Here we go, gang. So there's, you know, and there's good examples and there's bad examples. But when this topic was suggested... One of the first examples that came to my mind was – it's kind of around this theme that we see in media and culture where women with an overt sexuality is sometimes treated as pathological, like it's an illness, uh-huh. criminal, criminal, like it's dangerous. And uh, when I say pathological, I mean like it's usually – um, it portrayed, it's portrayed as like a sign of a physical or mental illness. And the example I thought of was Lauren in the DS9 episode Statistical Probabilities. But this is the one where Bashir has all of these genetically enhanced people who are suffering from ostensible mental illnesses. And Lauren the only thing we ever see her do that apparently defines her as mentally ill is that she hits on guys. It, like she's just sitting there basically being like, "Oh, hello Dr. Bashir." And you're like, "Yeah, she's clearly crazy."
2: <laughs> Wouldn't it be a great though if that was a level of her genius that she knew just how much she could freak people out by being overtly sexual and that was her her just her end game there. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but wouldn't it be great?
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's just all get couches and we'll all, like, lounge on them seductively and freak the (laughs) crap out of people. That sounds like a plan.
2: Well, hello, men. I'm very sexual to see you today.
1: (laughs) But, like, obviously, you know, being super, uh, I would say, like, behaving really seductively and, like, hitting on people when that's clearly not wanted is, like, that's not really cool, but it doesn't necessarily, like, it doesn't really justify locking someone up, and, <laughs> um, and certainly we see this, like, all the time with men in track approaching women with, like, similar types of pickup lines, and you would never, ever suggest that that made, like, it was a symptom of an illness, like, even just, you know, what's a knockout like you doing in a computer-generated gin joint like this? <laughs> Like what, she doesn't say, Lauren in DS9 doesn't really do anything worse than what Riker does on a typical day.
2: A high week for her is like it's a Tuesday afternoon for
0: him, pretty much. Well, maybe this is jumping way ahead, but we did get, I I think it's useful to address it early on. We did get one Facebook comment about how, how TV and writers tend to portray violence more frequently than they do sex on TV. Yeah. And how that seems weird. Like, wouldn't you think that violence would be more off limits than, than a sexual encounter? And it brought that comment brought to mind for me, the Netflix documentary, this film is not yet rated. Yes. yes. Which I highly recommend. It's only about an hour and a half long. Go watch it. Um, But they point out that not only is, do, do sexual situations get a, a more mature rating than violent ones in movies, but that women's sexuality gets a much higher maturity rating than male sexuality? Absolutely.
2: The most shocking kind of example they show, if I'm remembering this correctly, is um, a scene of someone masturbating in But I'm a Cheerleader, who is a woman, um... That almost earned them an NC-17 rating, whereas American Pie has a guy sticking his junk in a pie, and that was still somehow able to skirt PG-13.
0: Right. It's almost as if um, a woman enjoying a sexual encounter automatically gets an NC-17 rating, like there's something extra scandalous about women who enjoy sex. And I think that is very much related to this idea that a woman who enjoy sex is has some sort of criminal or pathological side to her that there's something wrong with it
1: yeah and we talked about this about marta in our orion women episode who's another great example of this because we don't again ever see really what she's done wrong except for like have a sexuality and want to plagiarize poetry Uh, (laughs) but she's also in a mental asylum another One that I had on the list for this topic is the TNG episode, Man of the People. Oh, boy. Okay, so, oh, gosh. Where do you even begin? This is the one where... (laughs) Deep breath. This negotiator yeah. comes on board with like this woman who seems to be his mom but then it's actually his girlfriend that he's made super old through dumping negative emotions on her and then he dumps all his negative emotions into Troy and she basically becomes like a a vamp who wants to sleep with everyone and then also gets super old and in her case it's like everyone's super worried about her and then it's like god forbid Not only is she a woman with this sexuality,
2: she's an older woman with this sexuality. Everybody run and hide. (laughs) Well, to be fair, doesn't that mean she's kind of turning into Luxwana there, which everyone is established to be totally afraid of? (laughs) So double diss there, yeah. With Luxwana, we definitely get the impression right off the bat that her being, you know, a sexual older woman is, ah, well, this is uncomfortable. And that's, it's like a running gag in TNG. And it's,
1: yeah, I think it's played for humor more than for fear, which isn't necessarily better. But at least I think that when you get to the later Loxana episodes, I think that she's treated with more sensitivity and that you can kind of admire her in a way for her kind of brazen behavior. Um, like when you're looking at the, you know, the later episodes, the one where she is, uh, what's the one with Alexander in the mud baths? Oh. You know, the one where she's marrying the dude and she shows up at the wedding naked.
2: Like you do. Yeah. Like Alexwana.
1: But those, you know, those later episodes, I think Luxana is, like, not a bad example, Ashley, and Major Barrett, Barrett said that um, she was approached by a lot of older, um, middle-aged and older women um, who really appreciated the fact that Luxana was on TV and got to be open about her sexuality. So that oh, yeah. was cool.
0: The mud bath, I'm pretty sure, is the cost of living.
1: I always get it mixed up with half a life.
0: Right, that's the other one where she yeah. wants to marry the guy, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. But he has to do the ritual suicide thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah.
1: So another. <laughs> okay. So we've we've talked about women who are seen as mentally ill or physically ill or some combination of the two for being sexual. A blood fever is another example. Well, this is kind of do, to do with Ponfar. So should we talk about Ponfar generally?
0: Let's talk about Ponfar. There's a lot to talk about with Ponfar. So it's it's a weird situation, right? Where, like, there's this biological urge that you cannot control. That in itself takes away your ability to make a choice. It yeah. takes away any agency that you have in the situation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And certainly with, I think, with both Topal and with Balana, it's like they're very scared. There's, like, fear about what's happening to them. Um, I mean, we see that from Spock as well. Like there's, he very, he's really doesn't want to have to go through Ponfar. But, uh, with, uh, Bolana, especially, it's striking because she isn't Vulcan. She goes through it because she's assaulted by Vorik. And there is this scene where, um, she's basically begging paris to have sex with her because she's under the spell upon far and she will like die otherwise and um paris is like no i don't want it to be this way you have to be able to consent which is like kind of cool but also like she's gonna die man (laughs) well and then tuvok basically orders paris to have sex with her and then thankfully she can instead just punch Vorik a lot and it goes away.
0: But, uh... Because sex and violence, same thing, as we've talked about before. Yeah, it's weird. Or maybe
2: everyone just gets off on hurting Vorik.
1: <laughs> it's cool that um Paris can be like, just because you're saying you want it, it's very, very clear to me you can't actually consent right now.
0: Right, because she's being influenced by something outside of her control. Exactly. Similar to Tasha Yar in The Naked Now. Yeah.
1: Oh, you jewel. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but seriously, that's a bit of another stereotype where you've got the prude or the cold woman who just needs to loosen up. I hate that one so much. It, that feels very much like what they're doing with Tasha in this episode. And suddenly she's ultra feminine. And now that there's anything wrong with being either way. Of course, but it's just—it's so out of character for her, which is kind of the point. But it's—you know—it's something we've seen a million times.
2: I really hate how much I've seen it kind of pop up in um, feminist media too. This idea that, um, even in a more enlightened era, it's like, oh, she just needs to have sex and loosen up a little bit. I—that mm-hmm. not only does that totally do a disservice to. The asexual audience, but also just the idea that sex is an end all, be all, or curative in some way. It it's great, don't get me wrong, but the idea that that it has that level of being so much of an end goal is it's it's really offensive. Well, and it's
1: it's kind of an impossible thing too, because you know, on the one hand, there's this thing that you're talking about this whole like all she needs is a good lay which yeah. is you know something that is clearly in like service of heterosexual men's fantasies absolutely but then if she actually does it she gets shamed for being easy or loose or slutty or
2: having need
1: yeah right? exactly that you know and then well you can't really respect her because she's gone and had sex
0: or because she needs to have sex Mm-hmm. And just to point out, the idea of all she needs is a good lay or, well, she hasn't had sex good enough to make her want it, mm-hmm. right, <sighs> is really, really dangerous for the ace and aromantic and demi communities Absolutely. because it leads into the idea of corrective rape. Yeah. Right. And there are these like, there there are people out there who think that these, that, that people are quote, broken and need to be fixed and, like, there's some honor to them if they're the ones who do it. Mm-hmm. So the the whole concept is so, so dangerous.
1: Yeah. Well, and lesbians as well.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just in general, the idea that you can be
2: fixed with sex is a very dangerous concept. Mm-hmm. And not someone that, they sh- that should be toyed with nearly as much as a lot of writers seem to think it's just cool to do.
1: Totally. So... Should we break it up a little bit and talk about a good example and then we'll go back to some of the more questionable ones? Yes, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. All right. Someone throw out a good example.
0: Although I think Loxana is a pretty good example.
1: Yeah, I think it starts off as like, oh, ha ha ha, old woman that makes us uncomfortable because she wants to have sex, but it ends up better. But uh, I see. Uh, i mean one of the i think uhura is a pretty good example actually she you know we see her in basically like one of her first episodes kind of flirting with spock mm-hmm. uh she's uh you know she's clearly very friendly with everyone on the ship and re- like other than in plato's stepchildren she doesn't really have that agency taken away um she's not regularly made to be a damsel in distress and in Star Trek V, she gets to do a fan dance, and no one questions her morals or capability after that. She
2: gets to do a fan dance well into her her 40s or so, is it? Yeah. 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 So, God I mean, willing, we should all be that limber at that age. Yeah. God willing.
1: I mean, I don't think we're all, you know, ginormous fans of that as a plot point in Star Trek V. <laughs> but just yeah. from the perspective of agency, it is pretty
2: cool um, that... They established she's always wanted a captive audience.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the exotic dancers we see in the rest of TOS are certainly not treated with respect.
0: Yeah, no.
1: So go Uhura!
0: (laughs) You want to go fan dance? You go fan dance! I think that Pulaski is a great example. Oh yeah! Never forget! Never forget! (laughs) Excuse me, not only did she bang Riker's dad, (laughs) but (laughs) she is not shy about her past relationships. She's not embarrassed that she's been married multiple times. She's not like, she's just, this is, this is who I am. This is what I've been through. These are the people who meant something to me at that time. And then we grew apart and moved on. NBD. (laughs) Which is definitely good to see in just about any
2: female character, but especially with a character like Pulaski that gets so much grief for for so many reasons, it's infuriating. But again, an older woman getting to say, yeah, I've had sex, that's, it's happened. Whereas usually it's more common for us to see older women talking about their sex lives like, ew, you're in an age where you're supposed to be ashamed that you ever had sex. She's Nope. Nope. It is what it is.
1: Yeah. So um, another, I kind of wanted to talk a bit about uh, the Deltons, who aren't really shown as criminal, but they're sort of unbridled sexuality and pheromones are presented as sort of inherently dangerous to the men working with them. Oh, Lord. Any any thoughts on Aylea and Deltons in general?
0: It's this, like, seductress, temptress trope, right?
1: Yeah, and there's it kind of goes hand in hand with this idea that, you know, men can't trust themselves or can't be expected to behave well around beautiful women. That there are women see- who
2: make it so that men just can't be held accountable because I couldn't help it. She was, look at her. Could you, she was just asking for it, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: except for it's like literal in this sense. It's like literally men can't be expected to because science. Right. We see that in uh, the Enterprise episode Bound 2, which I won't really go into because we talked a lot about it in our um, Orion Women episode. But that's another example of, of kind of like their. Are these the options for women are like, you can be a slave and have no sexual agency and be like a victim, or you can be an evil demon seductress
0: (laughs) and men should fear you. Gee, how do I choose? I mean, not only is this a gross thing for women, but let's be real, this is should offend men, too. Yeah, the idea that they don't have the capability to control themselves. Right and if like i'm sure we've all heard the analogy of like this is like leaving a stake in front of a pack of wolves Ew. right if you <sighs> subscribe to that idea or have ever like used that as a defense you should be offended by that you're saying that you that men don't have the more self control than a pack of wolves than literally non domesticated animals come on yeah we all have higher brain functions here. <laughs> it's not a defense and it's not an explanation. It's offensive to literally everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we have some examples of um, women who also sort of follow that, uh, the trope of bound, that like women who enjoy sex are villains. Sue, did you, your or Grace wanted to talk about Klingon women?
0: I think when we see Klingon women, they are just immediately sexualized because of their costumes, because of their boob windows. It's hard not to sexualize a boob window, really, right, and Klingons, at least in you know t n g on are like sort of villains, sort of not villains.
2: they're established as being just kind of generally dangerous just right. in general and in their sexuality. I think like the first time we really get anything about that, it's worth talking about how um a human couldn't handle a Klingon woman or that Klingon women will throw furniture and get violent as part of the sexual process.
0: And just, we have, we associate throughout all of Star Trek as, you know, Klingon sexual relations as being violent.
2: Yeah. mm -hmm,
0: Or a competition or a battle. Right. So I think that that goes with that same trope of, you know, sex is the same thing as violence, Mm -hmm. but also that, you know, these are aggressive women. They're violent and therefore they're also very sexualized and very yeah. sexually aggressive.
2: That their sexuality is in its, uh, itself an act of violence. Something yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: I think that like the Dura sisters are clearly examples of That's... that. Yeah. Uh, I think that Kalar is actually a pretty good example though um, of a Klingon woman who definitely is part of that culture uh, but I think that the way that she expresses her sexuality uh, um, is a lot more—I don't know—I guess healthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, because there's like like a, so it's not the fact of uh, that there like there are violent practices built into Klingon sexual culture. That's the issue. It's about like con- consent and danger. Like this idea that it's threatening. Because you don't believe that they would take your, like, take a man's wishes into consideration. And I think with Kalar, like, she's negotiating uh, pra- practice with Worf. And it's, like, she's very clear about what she wants. But it's never shown in a way that, like, you should be f- scared for Worf.
2: Yeah. I guess. And we also, with her, get this um because a big part of her character is that she's half Klingon and has... This kind of fear of uh, fear of being half Klingon and this attitude of I don't want to be just taken over by these instincts and these drives that are part of being Klingon. It's it's kind of like she's ashamed of that, ashamed of what um, of word salad. Uh, She's ashamed of the idea that she could turn into one of these sexual, violent Klingon women sort of thing.
1: I I think that's more true of Balana than it is of Kalar. I think with Kalar, like, you know, right from her first epi- episode, she's got the whole, like, basically, like, what's wrong? I don't bite. Oh, wait, I actually do bite. Like, uh-huh. she's, I think she's a lot sassier uh-huh. than B'lana, Um, in terms of the half Klingon, half human thing. And certainly she isn't cool with, like, all aspects of Klingon culture, but she does, like, end up, basically making out with Worf after fighting stuff on the holodeck with him.
0: Yeah. Kalar like, feels, it, it feels like she rejects a lot of the more traditional, like, machismo of Klingon mm, culture. Yeah. Yeah. But not all of Klingon culture.
2: At the same time, though, I feel like Belana is someone who's more down with her sexuality and, like, talking about ex-relationships and she's on the holodeck she's gonna summon up a bunch of bikini dudes to follow her around (laughs) i appreciate that about her a lot
1: that is that is true yeah that's cool i think we have a note here about vosh
0: yeah that was my addition (laughs) um
1: so you have her under uh, under like villainous
0: women okay she's she's certainly not the villain right but she's definitely not nice she's definitely not someone we're rooting for she is she is a lawbreaker She's the scoundrel. I know. I was
1: kind of rooting for her.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, and and she uses, there is no doubt that she uses her, her sexuality and her like sex, sex in general as a manipulation tactic. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of why I, i stuck her in that category in my brain is that she's she's using it as a weapon
1: yeah that's true i think Mm -hmm. um i actually originally probably would have put her in like a good example category i don't think she's the worst but you're right that she's definitely manipulative about her sexuality and that's not cool she uses it as a weapon. She has a lot of agency, she's just maybe not using it particularly well and it maybe right. is, again, a bit of a cautionary tale for men about the whole, like, don't trust yourself around beautiful women, because certainly Picard ends up, you know, feeling like I think a bit of a dupe.
0: Right. And I think Seska certainly falls into that same category oh, as well. Oh, definitely, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> and let's face it, the times we see her
2: uh, hitting so much of her relationship with Chicote is aggressive and it's not comfortable it's really just very one-sided he makes it very clear that he's not interested but she keeps going for it and that's not okay
1: yeah she's definitely comes across as i think you know we talked about her in our women villains part one episode it was a bit of like the crazy ex yeah stereotype that this woman who like can't let go and it just infuses everything about her and it's gross and I don't know, kind of head desky.
2: Yeah. my god, I'm just now realizing how much we could swap her out for Laura Flynn Boyle in Wayne's World. (laughs) There's a mental image. So,
1: should we talk about some women who basically just have no sexual agency in Star Trek? We've got a couple to get through. Then we'll go back to more good examples. Yeah. All right, let's start by talking about the perfect mate.
2: Oh, we can only go up from here.
1: Yeah. And I, I kind of already talked about a bit about this, but I think it's worth just like renaming the Madonna whore complex. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which comes out of originally like Freudian psychoanalysis, but it's obviously been adapted, um, with like cultural and feminist theory. This idea that, uh, you know, either a woman can be a Madonna, like a virgin, pure, chaste, um, holy, respected, or a whore where she's desired but not respected. And there's, like, no middle ground. And certainly, when we're looking at the perfect mate, uh, she is, like, certainly kind of framed as this kind of Madonna character, I would say, even though, you know, she also has these pheromones that make men attracted to her. She's...
0: Science, Jeff. She's
1: helpless, right?
0: Yeah. So... In this episode, like she herself frames it, that you know she can adapt to whatever the man she's with wants, and she chooses to bond with Picard because she likes who she is when she's with him. Like those are that's how it's explained in the episode. Mm -hmm. Whatever, Whatever. take it with (laughs) a a grain of salt. But I mean, she's still her her entire life is meant to be a gift to settle a war so that she can be what this man desires and bond with him. And basically she doesn't have agency or sexual agency. Really?
2: One of of the most uncomfortable things about this episode for me anyway, um, was the amount of girls I have known. And again, this is me just, this is my experience here. Take it for what you will. But the amount of women I have known who will go out of their way to sort of bend over backwards to be what they think the men in their life want or adapt themselves to try and become the suitable partner for the man in their life. And it can get so frightening to see someone just kind of change themselves overnight and just be like, no, this is who I am now because this is who I'm with now.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's
2: very scary is to see women who do that repeatedly and who kind of have trouble being outside of a relationship because of that, because all they know how to do is to adapt to what they think someone wants them to be. And it can be very frightening to see. And it, again, it's very hard to address that with someone when you see it happening.
1: Yeah, because that training is so deep that you're not valuable unless you have a man and it's your job to keep them. And you're probably the crazy one if you can't.
0: And I mean, for a comedic example of this, you can look at Anne in Parks and Rec. I was thinking Mm -hmm. just that. Yeah. We even have an episode (laughs) where she's talking about
2: how you can track her boyfriend through her past wardrobe and everything.
0: Right. She has at a garage sale and she has a box for each past boyfriend.
2: Yeah. and it's funny, but it's kind of apt. I know a lot of people who that can apply to. And it's
0: super real.
2: Yeah. yeah. And
1: I think with uh, Kamala in The Perfect Mate, you know, this even this whole thing of her, her saying she's choosing to bond with Picard, how do we know that she's not just saying that because Picard wants it to be her choice?
2: Yeah, that's uh-huh. another part of it that's really uncomfortable.
1: The whole thing is really quite uncomfortable. It's, you know, there's a lot of Star Trek episodes that deal with like sex slavery, and none of them seem to really, really roundly condemn it. And it's kind of disturbing. Um, but this, this one has uh, a bit of a, you know, an analog to bound where you have them again, like transporting women who are they at least believe to be slaves. And they're kind of like, oh,
2: well, nothing we can really do about it. Guys, I don't think the prime directive is supposed to work like that. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to just bend it and break it any way you want it, this might be one of the times to do it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Ugh. That is my official statement on that. Ugh.
1: Yeah, for sure. Sue, did you want to talk about the host?
0: I do want to talk about the host. Oh, please do. I feel like the issue of sexual agency is kind of all over the place in the host. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, in the beginning, we have Odin addressing Beverly about like how he thought she was an ice queen and under the ice there is fire, which is super <laughs> gross. <Ew. laughs> is
2: there anyone on
0: Earth who's ever taken that as a compliment? <laughs> Seriously? It's really funny, though, because like in so many of the this is a bit of a digression in so many of the novels, like they describe Crusher as the ice queen. Right, and you can't like penetrate her and she's so what? hard to read. And like I feel like that must have been in a character brief somewhere mm-hmm. that people went and ran with, but like that's not how McFadden plays that character no. at oh, all. No. So, <laughs> I have I've been reading it for like thirty years. She's Warmy McHub mom. And then it actually appears in an episode. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Good grief. So Beverly is in that trope of like the woman who just needs to loosen up at the beginning of the episode, but then we actually have an issue with Riker when when the symbiont is uh, implanted in him so that it can continue to live until the next host arrives. And it is heavily implied by the episode that there are sexual relationships taking place or sexual relations taking place between Crusher and O'Dan in Riker's body. So what agency does Riker have in that situation? You know, because... You're kind of getting into a dollhouse situation there, aren't you? Like,
1: seriously, Bev, you couldn't have waited two days.
0: (laughs) There's fire, Jarrah. Kind of the opposite of an ice queen there, isn't it? Uh, But, like, we know later in Deep Space Nine that, that the bonding of the host and the symbiont is more of a, like, a joint thing. Right. Where they, they sort of have personalities that mesh together. But this is our first time with the trill in TNG. And it's heavily implied that the, the parasite is actually controlling the host. Right. So that's uncomfortable. Right. (laughs) So does Riker have any agency in this decision? Does he even have the ability to consent? Because I, I think if we're having the discussion about sexual agency, it's important to bring it up that, you know, men have it too. Definitely.
1: I think that what we see in Star Trek, and we'll definitely talk more about this in our sexual assault episode, is that the issue for men is, like, they're not – it's inconceivable that they would say no. And this is another thing that comes out of our society that, you know, men are kind of horn dogs, like, who just want sex all the time. And it's, like, up to women to police that boundary –
2: which is horrible for one thing because you're making one gender morally accountable for another one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's that's ridiculous. And for another, it's again saying that men aren't in control of themselves and that they don't have the mental capacity to know what they want versus what their body wants. Right. Yeah. Which so. is probably, um, unfortunately, probably comes up a lot in um, men being sexually assaulted.
1: Absolutely. So I think that it's not supposed to be uncomfortable because, like, well, of course, Riker would want it anyway.
0: I mean, he does hit on her at Encounter at Farpoint, but that was four years ago. Riker's wanted to sleep with Beverly this whole time? Really? <laughs> <laughs> that? Mm, wow. He was hitting on her an Encounter at Farpoint. Well, who would It's just four years later, so.
1: And then he saw Wesley and was like, oh, wait, no.
0: <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. Just moonwalk backwards out that door time out that's part of the deal
2: Mm. (laughs) no
0: thanks (laughs) but yeah there are lots of weird things happening in the host yep not to mention the end which i think we've talked about before so we won't do it again that's why it's still one of my best
2: left forgotten episodes
0: i can't remember what episode we talked about it but we have
1: definitely talked about it before and we will again when we talk about trills yep so also in the department of complete lack of sexual agency we have, there was, a, well, there was a request to talk about the Enterprise episode, Cogenitor, and we're certainly going to have to focus in more in detail on this episode at a later date, because there is so much to unpack in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they
2: just kind of threw us a whale of an issue there with that episode.
1: Yeah, and I feel like
2: it's it's actually more
1: about, like, reproductive agency than sexual agency, which is not always the same thing. Um, and it's also to, an issue, there's a discussion to be had about gender identity and sexual orientation. But I guess there's also no sexual agency. Uh, Sue, you most recently watched this episode. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there are also issues of discrimination mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. denial of services and etc, <laughs> etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: General Archer being a jerk face
0: right right issues he's he's only concerned about his little trip into the sun yeah oh boy um like not only does the co-genitor not have sexual agency the co-genitor doesn't have any agency yeah at all (laughs) um and uh and then trip tries to like give the co-genitor agency in a way and like in a very ham-fisted way in a, like
1: let's go civilize the natives kind of way exactly uh,
0: yeah, yeah exactly i mean my anthropology classes were over a decade ago but <laughs> it makes me remember those lectures of like interference right <laughs> just
1: yeah it totally backfires i i guess the reason that i don't think this really is about sexual agency is that we just i mean okay so Clearly, the co-janitor has no agency at all, including sexual agency, but there's no indication of what they would do if they had
2: sexual agency. Yeah.
1: Um, right. I think, f-
2: I feel like we don't even would... see evidence of a sexuality there.
1: Yeah. I, I almost feel like it's kind of similar to the early seven of nine stories where they're, coming from such a, you know, alien, um, such a a different background and uh, extreme oppression that they're nowhere near a place where they could express a healthy sexuality.
0: Yeah. When I was watching it earlier, it it might be because of the new Hulu series, but it rang very strongly in my head with tones of The Handmaid's Tale. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: interesting. I mean, certainly it's just like, oh, well, we can't have babies, so we sort of, you know, oppress this other group of people to have them for us.
0: Right. This this individual is necessary if we want to have a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then... <laughs> Which they will have no, you know, right to or anything like that. And enough. I think the, my, my, the next thing on our list is a little bit borderline between sexual assault, and lack of agency, and those that's from the JJ films, and Pine Kirk's Peeping Tom instances. <laughs> uh, so when he's looking at Uhura's roommate, whose name escapes me at the moment, Gaila, thank you, <laughs> or, <laughs> or at Carol Marcus when she says, don't turn around, and he turns around anyway. And, he's, and in
2: both situations, it's played off as being kind of puckish rather than, oh my gosh,
0: Right. It's that, like, the general world, the people who, like, know Star Trek in passing and have gotten ideas of what the characters are from just cultural absorption, Mm -hmm. think of Kirk as a a womanizer. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you actually watch TOS, you know that he's really not. So I think it's a play to that crowd of like, this is what I know Kirk to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. And... I think that, you know, in the the part where he's hiding under the bed watching Uhura, I feel like maybe this is obvious, but you can't have agency if you don't know something is happening. So if yeah. you're getting undressed and you don't know someone is watching you, you have no agency in that situation.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, we have um something else that was mentioned on our Facebook page, and that is uh, women who were taken as prisoners of war. Right. Specifically, the Bajoran women taken by Cardassians. But this also applies to the version of Tasha Yar who goes back in time on the Enterprise C and yesterday's Enterprise to the Romulans. So, and of course, if you are are captured and you're a prisoner of war and you're turned into a sex slave, you do not have agency. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, certainly the, so the, like the Tasha Yar stuff all is just described. We don't ever actually see it. Thank goodness. Yeah. The Bajoran comfort women thing is really interesting and we'll, we're definitely going to do an episode on the wrongs darker than death or night episode at some point because it, it, it does really sort of question you to what extent do, did these women have agency in the worst possible situation. So you have Kira Maru, uh, and several other Bajoran women being basically picked out of the camps to service quote unquote Cardassian soldiers on Uh, Tarak Noor. And Kira is super uncomfortable with what she feels is her mom collaborating by having any kind of enjoyment in sleeping with Dukat and not just automatically trying to murder him.
2: Which is unfortunate because there's a very real analogy of that of women who were pretty much strong-armed or forced to sleep with Nazi soldiers and were then pretty much ostracized by their communities after the fall of the Third Reich. There's some terrifying stuff to find from that.
1: Yeah, and the, uh, of course, uh, Korean and other uh, Southeast Asian women who were made comfort women for Japanese soldiers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Kiramaru, her argument is, I'm doing what I can to help my family. And because I do this for Dukat, Dukat actually... Basically ensured her family's survival,
0: and it's a better life than being in the mines. Yeah, supposedly, yeah,
1: absolutely. But I mean, pff, that's not really agency in right. it, that kind of situation. That
0: is definitely coerced, a, uh, coercive. Yeah, a choice between two terrible things is not much of a choice. No,
1: no. Okay, let's go back to people who have choices.
2: <laughs> Yay. Let's pull um, ourselves out of this pit a little bit. Yeah, I
1: mean, because, you know, I, I would say like the Kira Maru thing, it isn't bad that Star Trek showed that. I mean, we're going to, we'll talk about the problematic episode or elements of that episode in more detail at some point. But, um, you know, it's not necessarily bad that Star Trek shows us bad situations. It's when, you know, some of these other things, you know, examples that we talked about, like in The Perfect Mate, where there's, it it reinforces these sort of patterns in our society, like women changing themselves for a man. Um, But good examples again. Uh, One of the ones that I really like from Enterprise is Fiesel Phlox. Yeah. Who's uh, Phlox's, one of Phlox's wives who comes on board and is just like super hitting on trip. I will say, again, not to excuse that, like, hitting on people who don't want it is not cool. Um, but she is clearly a character who, like, just partly it's because of her cultural background. She doesn't understand that that would be weird. And also the reason Tripp thinks it's weird is he thinks she belongs to Flocks. basically. Like, he would be probably totally down with making out with her. It's kind of implied, except for he's like, I'm not going to mack on another man's wife. Right. Even though Floss is like, oh, good for her.
0: (laughs) I the Denobulan relationship structure. I feel like they could have done so much more with, and it's so interesting. Absolutely. And like they could have actually explored poly relationships on Star Trek, but it's really just played off for comedy. Yeah. But at the same time, you have this woman who, like, there are no qualms, there are no excuses, there, there's no embarrassment about what she wants and what she's interested in. She is totally down with everything that she wants,
2: and that's awesome. But the fact that, that we're that that's sort of treated as, oh, ha, 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 is, mm, it takes right. away any serious discussion that could be had there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, ha, ha, ha is my way of saying, for comedy right now.
1: <laughs> uh, other good examples that people want to talk about?
0: You know, I think that for the most part, when – one of our main women characters chooses to have a relationship that in general there's a lot of agency there. Mm -hmm. They might turn out to be bad choices or terrible people but we rarely see a main character enter into a relationship when and feeling like they're coerced. Yeah.
1: Except for maybe if it's a relationship with a Scottish ghost candle.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah! Yeah, that's why I said I was just don't to go to in to that hoost. <laughs> Uh
1: And actually, i I think i I think you're right. And just to briefly throw in another not great example would be almost every relationship Troy's in because she almost uh, always enters into them seemingly willingly.
0: And they just and then turn they turn out, to, out be to be super creeps, right?
1: Yeah, she's
0: she she just, just has born under judgment. a bad sign. <laughs> Yeah, but I,
1: I feel like that it does take away from her agency, even though she's choosing to be in a relationship with them, because it sends the message to the audience that she shouldn't have, that she should have, like, protected herself better. Or
0: that she should have automatically known better. Or that she always makes the wrong choice, so someone should choose for her. Yeah. Right. But a really great example, I think, is Kira. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that we get to see Kira have
2: multiple rela- uh, romantic relationships and it's treated as something that's totally natural. That sometimes you're in a relationship. It doesn't work out or if something happens or he dies or what have you.
1: <laughs> or they're just really boring.
2: And well, you move on. And that is just a part of life and that there is nothing weird or outlandish about a woman having multiple relationships at different points.
0: She's also in a relationship with... A religious and cultural leader in her society. Followed by a political leader. But in, in both of those situations, you are you'd be under a lot of scrutiny. <laughs> and True. she just mm-hmm. it, it, she doesn't care. She's like, I'm doing what I'm gonna do. This is my relationship. It's none of your business.
2: She is exactly who she is, and she is unafraid of that, and that's so cool. Who
1: care's the best. Um although I will suggest that listeners might want to take a listen to our Mirror Universe episode for discussion about Intendant Kira,
0: Mm.
1: where we talk a lot about how she also has a crap ton of sexual agency, however, not really used or portrayed in the best way possible.
2: Also, some definite opinions on the sexual agency of Mira or Dax. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Take a listen to that episode. It was fairly recent. But Prime Dax is also, uh, I think, someone with a lot of sexual agency. She dates a lot, and it's, you know, sort of implied that she's probably having a fair amount of sex. She also is very assertive with Worf when they're <laughs> together around their sexuality just generally i think jedzia is i think and, and i think it's a cool message because it's like she's old and wise and she's she knows that you know you can have fun and
2: she is experienced
0: in every sense
1: yeah and it's not like you're old and wise and therefore don't have sex
0: right yeah. and thankfully she is not really ever portrayed as promiscuous
2: i no. think we get the idea that people view her as promiscuous but not that her behavior is bad at all
1: Like, I've seen message boards and stuff where where people accuse both Kira and Dax of being, like, a worse word than promiscuous. Yeah. But I don't think that that's really borne out, and I don't think the other characters are ever shown to see them that way. They're just people who have sex lives like a lot of people do. Which are things
2: that we're taught to think are bad with women characters, pretty much.
1: Yeah. Like, if you count the number of sexual partners Kira had, it's still, like... I think less than five, I may be wrong, in seven years. (laughs) So,
2: which is very funny if you rank that too. I think someone went out of the way to count the number of girlfriends George Costanza had on Seinfeld.
0: Just saying. Well that goes to way back to the beginning where we're talking about the difference between how men's relationships are portrayed and how women's relationships are portrayed. Right. Yeah. To be a quote promiscuous man is like I got another notch on my belt. You yeah. know, it's it's like a status thing. Yeah. To be a promiscuous woman is looked down upon. To be mentally ill, essentially. Right. Yeah. Well, I think we should talk a little bit about Janeway. Yeah, let's and I know that uh, Kate Mulgrew has said over the years that she didn't want for the first several years for Janeway to have any kind of relationship.
2: I think on one hand, that probably would, would have been what people would have immediately expected from a female care, uh, captain, a certain level of soap opera that people automatically assume will come with having a woman as your right. primary character. So in that sense, I can definitely say, yeah, okay.
0: Right. And when she did start having on-screen relationships, it sort of was just in the holodeck, something that wouldn't interfere with the crew. Um, So, you know, if she's creating programs, she's making all those choices. But then there is the episode that I think a lot of people point to. Counterpoint? Yes. So it was, basically it was the, the situation that brought up this question in Kay's original email, right? Of she's flirting with the, other captain in Counterpoint, and is she doing that as manipulation? Is she really interested in this guy? Do they have this kind of rapport? And it becomes, you know, a more complex situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We talked a bit in our Janeway episode, uh, Coffee Black, about just the feedback that the show and Kate Mulgrew and the creators were getting about Janeway and. You know, they knew a lot of that they were going to get a lot of it in advance. But there were so many double standards that people were applying to Janeway in terms of criticisms about her hair and her emotions or lack thereof. And
2: just everyone had something bad to say about her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was like she's too warm or she's too cold or she's too maternal or she's too bitchy or whatever. Like there were so many contradictory (laughs) yeah about her gender and so you can see how there was concern that her having romantic relationships would undermine people's confidence in her which is not cool but goes back to that perception about women we were talking about before it's good that in season seven we get uh, she gets to have a little bit of a relationship in workforce, but she, then she doesn't know who she is. And then yeah. she, has, when she knows, figures out who she is, she's like, oh, this isn't going to work. Maybe, no, maybe you can f- come with me. Yeah. Actually, maybe
0: that's a bad idea.
1: <laughs> so the solution is we just give all the strong women amnesia.
0: Then- <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> and then, of course, in Voyager, there's also more Seven of Nine. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, where... seven or nine is, is a super mixed bag. I think she's really interesting. I think it's fascinating how at the beginning of her character, she really sees sex as like a mechanical act that's really detached from feelings or romance. Like, Ensign, remove your clothes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, it's really interesting because it challenges how much sex is packed in with those
2: things in our culture.
0: Yeah. Right, and which, I mean, can be, if you want, an allegory for the aromantic community.
2: Yeah. Wouldn't it have been interesting if we'd had asexual seven of nine? Yeah. You know, I don't necessarily
1: mind that she explored sexuality, but no, not I, at all. I, I feel like she didn't need to end up in a heterosexual relationship.
2: No, just that whole relationship felt unnecessary. It felt very tacked on.
0: The doctor is literally teaching her how to be a sexual creature. Yeah, Yeah. that's weird. And teaching her how to have a homosexual – or excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) If only. Teaching her how to have a heterosexual relationship.
1: Yeah, complete with, like, stereotypical dating. Yeah. That is super weird. And I – and given that he is also attracted to her is problematic at best. Yeah. Yeah, it just – it calls into question how she would know what she really wanted. I mean, we all deal with that. How do we separate out the messages that we get from society, from parents and school and media, from what we really want? But, like, how would you – if the only messages you had were from the doctor?
0: (laughs) And she's being taught one-on-one by a medical professional Mm -hmm. certain things. Like, how much of that is – not brainwashing, but close to brainwashing. There's
2: definitely a grooming aspect to it yeah, that's really sure. uncomfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. How much agency does she really have? At least in that relationship, not, not a lot. Right. I've, I feel like it
1: always made me uncomfortable that she didn't get more. To, like, I, I think it would have been cool to for her to end up back on Earth. And then she could figure some stuff out in her own space with her relatives that she had never met and explore all this other stuff instead of just, like, being forced into this script because they needed neat endings for her and Chakotay.
0: There's a a lot
1: of really fascinating scholarly literature about um, Seven of Nine and sexuality, so uh, if if anyone's got access to academic databases and feel (laughs) bored one weekend you should check it out (laughs) cool okay well um any final thoughts
2: if i can quote shirley manson for a second sex is not the enemy what is the enemy (laughs) not sex
1: (laughs) the the sulaban the sulaban are the enemy not sex
0: okay (laughs) sue final thoughts i think that as i said before that in general for our main women characters that star trek does a pretty good job with agency it's when i feel like they try to tell a story that involves sex where things kind of go off the rails um but yeah and i just i I wish that not everybody was straight in space yeah space sounds really boring yeah, straights in space doesn't work as well. <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely
2: pay to see that. Yeah, no.
1: <laughs> well, we'll we'll reconnect once we've seen some discovery and cool. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, everyone. Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the interwebs?
0: You can find me on Twitter at spelltor. That's S P A L T O R. And Grace, where can people find you?
2: Also on Twitter at Jank.
0: Cool. And
1: you can find me at TrekkieFeminist.tumblr.com. And you can also contact our show by email at crew at women at warp.com, on our website women at warp.com, on our Facebook Women at Warp, or our Twitter at Women at Warp. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.